My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello and welcome to the Post Credit Pod. I'm Bren Katz, Senior Entertainment Reporter at Observer. With me as always, Eric Italiano, Senior Entertainment Editor at Bro Bible. Today is a fun show. Not only did Eric conduct an awesome interview with the Russo brothers in which they get into their film inspirations, how they approach character and action and story in their movies, what they're looking forward to in the future. And Secret Wars, baby. And Secret Wars, a lot of good stuff. But we are also, it's fantasy football season, so we thought, why not do a fantasy draft for superhero movies? Eric and I are competing head-to-head. You guys are going to vote on who has the better team. It's going to be a whole mess of fun. Before I get into that, before I explain how we're doing everything. Let's just spend a couple minutes talking about New Mutants, which we are recording on Friday, so technically it opened last night. And after two years, this movie finally arrives and is just getting absolutely blasted by critics. That would be a kind verb for it. That that would be a nice word. I I said it's getting ravaged. It's getting torn to pieces. Um, What's it add on Rotten Tomatoes right now? Critic score is at a 22. Uh, the review on your site said it's the worst X-Men film yet. Unfortunately, guys, I did not write that. But if you want to go check it out, Observer.com. If you want further superhero co- coverage, Robible.com. Both of us got it set. But, man, I, I just I refuse to believe that there's an X-Men movie worse than Dark Phoenix. You're foolish. You're foolish, that. my friend. I mean, look. What? I know, I know. But at least that included A-listers. This is shitty, and it, it includes no names. The, uh, the film is based on a, on a, and I believe it's called the Demon Bear story from, like, the early 80s. Like, they've always been sort of an obscure set of X-Men that haven't been used much. Now, this is something that I think would have worked well as a show. Okay, that's interesting. Sort of a umbrella vibe to it. You know what I mean? Like a bunch of young adults trying to find their way. But the fact that it's this bad, and we had joked on like our past pod, could you imagine if it turned out to be incredible? <laughs> Obviously, that was not the case. Yeah, I think we have our answer to that question. And you would argue, some would argue, that we already had our answer to that question at the movie. Oh, yeah. Horrible. But I felt that that last trailer, I was like, this looks like a passable movie. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Every trailer I, I saw made it look worse to me. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I'm not going to argue against that. The first one, and it was set to that, uh, forget what song that is, but it's by Nirvana. Uh, that was the only good one. And that was the first trailer that came out in, I don't know, 2012, it feels like at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's sad. It's sad to see them go out like that. I know you touched on that on our past pod this week that, you know, this is the last film in a 20-year set of films that we love. Some we love, some were great, some were okay, some were outright bad. And it's a shame that this will be the last taste of it that we get. I mean, it's a one-two punch of shit burger sandwich between Dark Phoenix and this. Like, how does a $6 billion franchise peter out in such despicable fashion. That's that's your zone, man. You tell me. What did they do wrong? Well, I know, first of all, the, the creator of the comic, whose name escapes me right now, I apologize, but he said 
uh, that basically he gave a bunch of notes to Fox and said, hey, a horror movie absolutely can work, but maybe as the second film in the series, because to introduce so many new characters and storylines and do that in a kind of genre busting way, it's just too much and it's not going to work. So he said that. Number two, Josh Boone, the writer and director, he wanted to do like a full on horror movie, whereas Fox basically made him do a vanilla kind of watered down version. And by the time they came around to his original vision, it was too late to do reshoot. So that's number two. And number three is, it's just always hit or miss with Fox, man, with the yep, X-Men franchise. Yep, yep, I know, I know, I know, it's a shame. So just to touch on that, fare thee well, X-Men franchise. You were a loyal, long running, perhaps too long running, <laughs> but, don't forget the original X-Men is what started this all. And that cannot be forgotten. Put respect on that name. Gotta give respect there. But that's a nice segue into our next segment, which is, can we get a drum roll in the after effects here? Done. The superhero movie fantasy draft. I'm so hyped today that I'm, I'm wearing a shirt. This is a Gotham city rogues shirt which is the football team in the dark knight rises which is not going to be on my list which is not the pittsburgh steelers correct but so that's pretty fire that's pretty cool i'm not gonna usually i'm the one with the, t the superhero t-shirt so yep. i respect that you're coming prepared i'm pumped homie so guys what this is essentially eric and i must draft the best five film team of superhero movies. And the criteria for best is going to basically include critical acclaim, box office success, influence on genre, variety among top five, and the cultural impact. And what we're going to do, we already flipped a coin in our last podcast episode. Go download that one. But Eric has first pick, and we'll go back to back, in which we each select one film right after another uh, right after another without any overlap between selections which means i can't take a movie that he's already taken and vice versa and the goal again is to build the best five film roster of superhero movies and whoever uh and and we are going to put those teams out into the world follow at post credit pod post cred pod we come on man every damn week at this point i know it's tough it's tough <laughs> We want you guys to vote on it and ultimately decide. Now, a little bit more background. For the purposes of this exercise, we are not limited to just comic book movies. We can yes, also this include, is superheroes. Yeah, original superheroes, not based on pre-existing properties. So a general list like that would, can, would have movies like RoboCop, Darkman, The Matrix, Unbreakable, The Incredibles, uh, Hancock, Jumper, Chronicle, movies like that that have essentially superhero stories that just not necessarily based on previous existing material. Uh, after each selection, the drafter will provide a kind of one to two minute explanation of why they believe their choice belongs in the top five. And then the opposing player will be given a roughly the same amount of time to rebuttal. Importantly, this is the last rule you gotta know, each player will be given one opportunity in the draft to steal another selection. This so, scares the shit out of me. I'm just going to say that right now because I know that you put this in there for you. Not for me, for you. I will say. Because you're I a trivia guy. Tactics. So if a player issues a challenge following the original drafter's one, two-minute explanation on why they selected that movie, the two drafters will be asked a randomly generated film trivia question. I got the website set up here. I can film it if you don't trust me, Eric. Oh, I do, I do, I do. All right, there we go. We're going on the honor system. So 
if they both get it right, the tie goes to the original drafter. Obviously, if the challenger gets it right and the drafter gets it wrong, that's a success. There's going to be real fucking problems if you steal if you steal one from me. I'm telling you right now. Oh, my God. So now that you guys have a basic understanding what we're doing, how we're approaching it, how it works, and the fact that you guys have to vote on it through the next week or so, let's fucking get it started, Eric. Okay, so with the first pick, and how I told you, I needed first pick because for me, there's only one choice here, and that is the Dark Knight. What do we got? Nothing. No name, no other alias. Clothing is custom. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Why so serious? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. The right choice. Gotham needs you. Why do I pick the Dark Knight except for the fact that I am an obsessive fan? Well, there's a, there's a few things. As far as I think, Batman is the, the best superhero. And this is the best film about him. So that already sort of puts it in a class that you can't really touch because there's no character probably as big as Batman. So if you're the best Batman film, fantastic. Next, it redefined the entire genre, not in just the way that fans saw the films, but the Academy as well. Uh, The following year, because The Dark Knight got snubbed for Best Picture, they expanded the field from five to at least ten. And that's what, and it's widely, what? Maximum of 10. Right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. And that's widely said to be because of the Dark Knight. It was the Dark Knight rule. Totally. So then, of course, there's Heath, which is the definitive comic book movie performance up until this time. Um, I don't think anything done in the 12 years since has gone past what he gave us in that film in terms of, do I think the fact that he died sort of adds a, aura to it that it may not have had had he lived for sure but that's not what we're really talking about here we're talking about what it is and what it is is it's become this literally legendary portrayal of a movie character Heath is gone you do not see an actor there it is a living breathing character and because of that he became the first to win a Academy Award for a comic book role. So in terms of impact and legacy, this film has it all. And then, of course, just as a film itself, just to, you know, tie, tie up, it is a Christopher Nolan banger. There's not really a bad beat in the entire film. Batman is, you know, Bale's Batman is Bale's Batman. Some think he's the best. I think that's sort of by default, you know. Uh, but... Overall, I'd say it's the most important comic book film to date. How the fuck am I supposed to rebuttal The Dark Knight? You can't. Like, you can't. Yeah. No, and, and I don't think it needs to be a rule that you have to. Like, you're, you're going to say things, and I'm going to be like, fucking hey, great point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I don't, so if you don't feel that you want to or no, for, to- for the purposes of the exercise, our, our entire point is to poke holes in the other's argument because we want to win the contest. And so I will attempt 
to poke holes in your argument, even though The Dark Knight would have been my first pick as well. Wow, okay. So, okay. Really? okay if, wow. if I have to criticize this movie, I would say that the final 20 minutes are perhaps not quite as thrilling as everything that precedes it because it stacks climaxes upon climaxes upon climaxes on top of each other, where there's so much going on that the individual amazing moments don't get enough time to breathe. And then I would say there's a noticeable drop in energy anytime the Joker isn't on screen. I would think kind of the biggest indictment. But that's of no the fault of the is- film. That's no fault of the film. It's just because he's that electric. Listen, remember, I love this fucking movie. Right? <laughs> okay, I, okay, I am okay. going, I'm, I, I'm a publicly appointed defending lawyer who's like, man, I know my guy's guilty, but I got to say <laughs> something, bro. Okay. So then I would say the biggest indictment of The Dark Knight as a Batman movie is that it actually belongs to the Joker, which can be viewed as a bad thing to some Batman purists. That's very good. And that is me shooting my half-court buzzer beater shot because damn, this is a good movie. Those are great points. I will also say, as I always say about these films, the fight scenes, straight up hand-to-hand fight scenes, let me down, you know? but still, this is a perfect film. So I'm not wearing hockey masks. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. That's not great. That's not great, Brandon. But, um, but like, again, we are essentially... Would you say... Oh, I wish The Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh didn't have so many beautiful colors. Right, right. Would it's you say hard. that this is the best comic book film of all time? I would say it's the best comic book film of all time. Okay. Next pick? Next pick. My, my first pick. Wait, are you... I, I, I feel like I should be writing these down. I'm going to keep track of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I hope you're yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay. My first pick in the draft, Avengers Endgame. Thanos did exactly what he said he was going to do. He wiped out 50% of all living creatures. We lost, all of us. We lost friends, we lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. This is the fight of our lives. If we are talking about all of the criteria mentioned at the beginning of this show, Avengers Endgame essentially hits them all. It is the biggest movie ever. If nothing else, it holds a towering position in cinematic history, which dates back a hundred years. It is the culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the single most consistently successful creation in Hollywood history. It pays off a decade of storytelling teases, character development, and running plot lines. And in a vacuum, if we're only looking at it as just one movie, it is a hell of a great action comedy in its own right. Despite being the most anticipated movie ever, it still somehow manages to be fresh at every turn. And I wrote this in my review on Observer. Avengers Endgame is a movie that is nothing you'd expect, but everything you want. Who among us thought Thanos would be, quote unquote, killed in the first 10 minutes? Who among us saw the depths of the time travel story? Who even could have predicted all of the hilarious in-jokes and callbacks and references. This is the biggest movie on earth for a reason, and its cultural impact 
blows past basically anything we've ever seen before. Avengers Endgame, boom, that's my pick. Well, 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 Brandon. This is why this game is just as much about knowing your opponent as it is knowing these films. Because my rebuttal is also going to be my next pick, and that is Infinity War. Ooh, now we're spicing it up. I like this. Rich, and because I knew that you would take that. Infinity War is a better movie, top to bottom. It's tighter, it's leaner, the fight scenes. Look, that final third act in Endgame is incredible. But as we've talked about on, on this pod, it can perhaps be too much of a good thing. There's too much going on that you can't really... Like, I think the best part of that scene is the three-on-one versus Thanos. Once You forces, don't like the portal scene? No, 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 no. I'm comparing it to the major fight scenes in Infinity War, which I find to be more coherent, uh, smaller in scale. So therefore, as a viewer, I feel more a part of it. Whereas, you know, the endgame fight, it sort of feels like you're zoomed out on top of it all. I think the MCU's best fight scene to date is the Thanos fight scene. Uh, Tony Stark, Spidey, uh, Strange, and all them on Titan. That, it feels like you're there with them because it's like an eight-on-one. And every punch and move that goes down, you see. Endgame, there's so much going on that you learn something new each time, which is not bad. That's a great thing in film. But in, in terms of a fight scene for me, I look for coherence and how much do I feel a part of it. The ending of Infinity War is probably more iconic, I'd say. Uh, that's a tough debate because the end game ending of Stark, you know, warning, dying, um, is huge. Everyone knew about it, heard about it, saw it. But that Thanos snap became a meme. Even if you didn't see the film, you saw that meme and then understood that scene. Prior to Endgame, all the things that you said about this film were true. It was the same thing. Endgame had just taken its place because it is an inherently bigger film. But Infinity War, you, you can't sneeze at uh, its impact bottom line because right now it currently sits fifth, uh, the highest grossing films of all time. So if they cancel each other out in terms of impact, I think Infinity War is just a stronger film. And that's why I'm glad that you went the way that you did. I love Infinity War, but here is why you're wrong, Eric. The ending became a meme, yes, but it shot itself in the foot by not living up to its full potential. Whoa. And what I mean by that, here, okay. let me explain. What I mean by that is the moment people start disappearing, you think, my God, they're doing it. They're really doing it. And you applaud Marvel for its bold storytelling and its willingness to do something with real consequences. And then three goddamn seconds later, Spider-Man and Black Panther disappear. And you go, oh, because you know for a fact both of those are coming back without a doubt in the next movie. This does not let the emotional heights of this particular moment reach its full potential. And in fact, takes away. And you think, damn it, they were so close, so close to doing what you really, truly wanted and what this movie really, truly demanded. And they were too chicken to pull it off for real. And that is why Infinity War, despite being a great movie, 
does not live up to the heights that it could have and why it's not my first pick. But these films aren't for us. They're, they're for kids. And if you're 10 and you watch your favorite heroes get iced, you probably leave crying. Didn't hurt uh, The Empire Strikes Back and then going into Return of the Jedi. Which we will talk about when we talk to the Russo brothers. But So if you had to choose one, if you were going to go the rest of your life and you could only watch one of these two, and you, and you know how the part that you don't have fits into the plot, which one would you choose? Avengers Endgame is the more complete overall film with the actual sense of finality and closure that Inf- Infinity War didn't give us and admittedly couldn't give us by design. But that is why Avengers Endgame is my number one pick over Avengers Infinity War. So then in theory, you have this film behind The Dark Knight as the next best comic book film of all time. Avengers Endgame? Yeah. <laughs> I love Avengers Endgame. I'm, I'm going to say yes, but also I'm taking into account a wealth of criteria that has best, and that includes cultural impact, and that also includes variety among the top five, which is why I think our lists are actually going to diverge the further we go in this draft. Okay. All right, so then... Take us down, said past Slick. Okay, so just updating everybody. So far, Eric has made two picks, and that is The Dark Knight and Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> I have made Avengers Endgame, and my second pick is going to be The Matrix. Whoa. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, The Matrix, my argument, remember, this is best superhero movies, which includes comic book films and original superheroes, and absolutely, positively is Neo an original kick-ass superhero. Here is my argument. The Matrix, it's a product of imaginative vision, well-constructed and complicated plot, ground-breaking special effects. It is a blockbuster for both stoned college kids and philosophers. It inspired a generation of steampunk aesthetic and bullet time wannabes that was copied in movies for decades. It brought Western sensibilities and styles to Eastern filmmaking. It gave cultural trophy national treasure Keanu Reeves his most iconic character in a career full of iconic characters. There are multiple images and lines from The Matrix that are oft repeated and quoted still today. It's been memed to death because of its cultural relevancy. For 20 years now. 20 years. And, and now is, let me jump in here. It still holds up. All of what you're up. saying is still true. Both effects and from a script point of view. And I think the ultimate testament to the Matrix's enduring staying power is the fact that there is a fourth film arriving nearly two decades after the most recent film. But is that more a, a result of the franchise or Keanu? Both. Okay. Not Go ahead. Only is the star still culturally relevant and beloved by audiences? 
But this is a concept that Warner Brothers has been trying to continue for more than a decade. There have been internal conversations about expanding the Matrix franchise because it is one of the most valuable original IPs in history. Tra a it's a multimedia franchise spanning you know, video games and comic books and everything. It has grossed almost $4 billion. And again, the Matrix 1 was one of the first inst instances of a thinking man's blockbuster. And of course, you know, you psych, you know, freshmen can be like, well, it's, you know, just a derivative of like Young and Carl Sagan or whatever. Like, no, shut up. This blew people's <laughs> minds. I saw it in theaters when I was seven years old. And I remember thinking, I have no idea what the fuck is going on, but I know this is bad ass. And that still is how I feel today while inviting amazing intellectual conversations. And The Matrix is my number two pick and a worthy damn superhero. Well, wow. So this leads me down a ton of routes. First, I want to ask, at, at, at that age, it was not too dark for you? You weren't scared or... I wasn't scared, but also, you know, my dad took us to like movies we should have not been going okay. to at a young age. So that kind of was built into my childhood. Okay, so then point two is I speak for myself and all the fans to say that I'm stunned at that pick. I, I, you were, thought, I knew that they went. We were gonna I thought play. you were going to pull something like this, but I figured out at the end. And that leads me to my third point, friend. As a fan of the New York Jets, I could tell when a draft pick is a massive reach. And that's a reach. I was never going to take that movie. You could have taken that last. That's fine with me because ultimately, pound for pound, The Matrix is a better movie than I think The Dark We're not movie. ranking and them. We're not ranking them. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, this isn't like, you're trying to build a team, right? Like, yeah. you're not ranking, like, you're not saying it's the third best of all time in this genre. So don't. I'm saying that this is a great pick in terms of the versatility it brings. And I think pound for pound, it's a better film than the than the other films we've already selected. Now, okay, so I... But getting gonna, as, as the fourth overall pick in the draft is very happy for me. So while I could poke holes in where you took it, I'm not going to poke holes in what you said, because I agree. I love that film. I watched it a few months back to write a piece for work. Just a fr freeform piece of where... where Checked out on Bro Bible. Of where my thoughts led. And my thoughts led me down to how well it's aged both in how it would come to predict sort of things to come in terms of how plugged in we'd be online to the action and the CGI still looks incredible. Um, so I love that film. But now because you've done this, it's causing me to change the order of my list because now I want to grab something before you turn around and do. That's I reactive drafting, man. That's pathetic. You are so, a New York jet. So... With my third pick, this is my third pick now, I'm going to take Logan. You son of a bitch. Why? Was that going to be yours next? It wasn't necessarily going to be my next pick, but of course it was on my list of, like, targets. Right. So, okay. How am I supposed to poke holes in Logan? All right, go. Go. It, as you like, like to point out, it's the last film with Hugh Jackman. He played this role for 17 years. So it puts a cap on the most iconic superhero performance run to date when you think about the fact that he's played it for 20 years again it was another step forward for the genre as a whole whereas deadpool had crossed the r line in terms of comedy this crossed the r line in terms of drama which hadn't really been been done in a true uh mount rushmore comic book 
character. We've seen R-rated films like this. I think The Matrix is, right? Or Yeah. So it's not unheard of, but a comic book character like Logan, like that's like if they make the Batman R, my brain might fucking explode. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like that's what I'm talking about. Logan allows that conversation to happen. It was up for best adapted screenplay, which is, again, a step forward. That had not been done. Uh, I think, as we talked about, Heath had won for The Dark Knight. But outside of that, oh, and, uh, oh, no, this came before Black Panther. So it was the second major comic book film nom at the Oscars. It makes you cry, and it makes you cry more than once. I counted three times. Charles's death, Charles's burial, and then, of course, the death of Logan. And then Logan's burial. So really four times, which, again, is unheard of in this genre. And then the character itself, of all the X-Men films, this is the most true vision of Wolverine that we've gotten. And he's probably flirts with being a I don't know top five sexist comic book character of all time right Batman Superman Spidey he's up there right so yeah um and it's a beautiful film uh it's just as deep as I've seen a comic book film get and the more that we get of that the better I mean if I have to go against Logan, a movie I like the more times I watch it, I would say its third act is before all of the deaths, you know, the, the third act is a little bit of a kind of hodgepodge of ridiculous reveals and overinflated action. Uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the cloning doctor whose name escapes me at the moment was just kind of a silly reveal that I didn't think we, we truly needed. And I would say, at times, Charles gets everybody killed with his stupid decision-making. Neither of those are really, like, kind of sticking for me as criticisms because Logan is a good movie. But that's, that's what I got from my rebuttal. I will say that the score in the big third-act fight scene is truly awful. That's fair. Okay, you know what? I do have actually one more point. Okay. I will say that the opening in which those kind of gang members or, or hoodlums, whatever you want to call them, try to steal Wolverine's car and they really rough them up. It is, of course, a, a very cool and awesome introduction to this new R-rated X-Men, the first time we had ever really seen that. But it also essentially says to the film, there's nowhere to go not even up at this point. We have now started at such a high level and such a shocking amount of gore and violence that it loses its meaning a little bit throughout the film. And it also comes ultimately what is a needless and unnecessary stupid conflict, not one that holds any real resonance or, or emotional weight. So I think perhaps opening the film with something a little bit more restrained might've helped the action throughout but man, you know, I, I really like this movie overall, and I'm, I'm reaching for a, a, a plausible argument. For, for me, the gore was not the main point of that scene. Well, I mean, it's a big point, but for me, it was showing that, look, man, this is not like you've seen an A-list guy before. He's going to get his ass kicked time and time again. He's in bad shape right now. Jordan on the Wizards. This man's past his prime. Exactly. 
So that was so the first time that I saw that scene, I was like, "Whoa, this is something different, man. He looks like shit. Like I've never seen anything like this." Uh, so that's my third pick. B, on to you. Yeah, I'm gonna use my challenge. Oh, <laughs> you are a fucking scumbag. Because after all that, I mean, it's just such a good movie, and I was reaching for you know criticism. It's it's kind of uh, kind of not exactly. I'm not even going to challenge you because your picks suck. That's the problem. <laughs> You're just jealous, my man, because mine has versatility. I wish but I had Googled some facts before. I'm bringing up the, the random uh, trivia. Now, how long does it take until it pops up on your screen? It, instantaneously. You know, like, it's, like, it's like it has the question, and then you have to click it to get the answer. Oh, okay, okay. So for the, the challenge round for Logan, in what year does Logan take place? 2029. 2039, 2024, and 2034. I am going with option A, 2029. What are you going with? Say it again. Twenty. I am going with option A. 20, no, no, no. The four. The 2029, 2039, 2024, 2034. The problem is, but like I, I can't pick the same thing as you, right? Like what? No, you can't. Because if we both get it right, tie goes to the. Uh, to the to the holder to the original drafter yeah then i'm i'm gonna go with 29 as well because it's future but it wasn't that far and 2024 would put it a little too close and 39 is too far so i'm going with 29 as well yeah 24 spitting distance let's say <laughs> we have to finish the whole quiz oh <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. i'm just gonna i'm just gonna bang through them right quick yeah. we are both right 2029 which means you keep logan all right damn it it was a good, good challenge, though. I feel like I used it in an appropriate place. Yeah, because your picks are lagging so far, so you know that you need mine. You are going generic and obvious. I'm trying to put together something yeah, that people I'm trying are to, I'm trying to win a, I'm, I'm trying to win a draft, my guy. All right, so for my next pick, because I'm only picking bangers that are just indisputable, I'm going with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It very well may be a perfect movie striking cutting edge animation that differentiates itself from literally anything that has ever come before it's like a visual playground every time you watch this film you notice new details and you enjoy new visual striking things about this movie it actually feels the way it's presented like you've been whisked away inside of a comic book and that is something that no other film has ever done before and then on top of that it somehow manages to pay homage to its source material while also completely remixing it and in many instances playfully and lovingly poking fun at the tropes and cliches of the genre. So that livens it up. Then on top of that, it balances nonstop humor, an absolutely bumping soundtrack with the biggest heart of any superhero film in the last decade. The famous What's Up Danger scene where he jumps off the building has now become an iconic image in its own right and it is a literal leap of faith that visualizes the film's message that anyone can wear the mask and that flies in the face of the destiny of the chosen one the super billionaire playboy philanthropist the norse gods the super soldiers it gives every audience member a piece of spider-verse that belongs just to them in that way it is dizzyingly inventive it's ambitiously bold it's wholly unique it has the best rewatchability of any film on this list, bar none, and it won an Oscar for Best Animated Film. So that hits literally every category we've talked about. That's good. That's good. 
You can make a case for it being the best Spider-Man film of all time. Absolutely, you can make a case for that. Perhaps. Look, man, I again, I don't think that you came prepared to. Tr- you're you're reaching. Why would you? So that's your that's your third pick, right? Like I I would almost have guaranteed that you would have taken in your top three picks one of the Reeve Superman films. I can't believe it. I love the Reeve Superman films, and they're on my list of targets, but. I think the modern films do something that are a little bit more genre expanding than what they did. And, and I, I love Superman and, you know, listen, I might get there with my fourth and fifth pick, but right now these are top tier heavyweight haymakers. Okay. Now, again, this allows me to change up my draft strategy because I'm going to block you out of the, of the next MCU film on your top MCU film rankings. And for my fourth pick, take Guardians of the Galaxy. We arrested these five on Xandar. Check out the rap sheets. Drax, a.k.a. the Destroyer. Since his wife and family were killed, he's been on a rampage across the galaxy in his search for vengeance. Gamora, soldier, assassin, wanted on over a dozen counts of murder. Rocket, wanted on over 50 charges of vehicular theft and escape from lockup. What the hell? Groot been traveling recently as Rocket's personal houseplant slash muscle. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star-Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault. Well, I know this because I even looked up. You once tweeted your your MCU film list uh, from best best to worst. So I looked at that, trying to, you know, find out what I Look think you would do. this guy doing research, challenging getting the ADPs and all every, all that stuff. I like it. Fantasy football season, kid. You got to know your opponent. That's half draft. It's all about value. Value. I like that. Guardians, my favorite MCU film. And as far as I'm, I'm concerned, the best. Not counting Infinity War and Endgame, because those are sort of event films that exist in their own tier. You know, like it's this global, gigantic event. So you can't really judge them on the same scale. Guardians at the time was seen as a risk. You know, it's one thing to do it with Iron Man and Captain America and Hulk and Thor. But when news of this film first came out, it was like, what is the MCU doing? Who are, the, who are these characters? Who do they think they are? Uh, and it, they, they, they are who they thought they, they, what's it called? They are who they thought we were, damn it. RIP to uh, Coach Green, Denny Green. <laughs> So it proved that they could do it beyond, you know, they could make pretty much new films, a film that I sort of see as like the Star Wars for the new age in the sense that it has everything in one plot, action, adventure, love, comedy, drama, sci-fi, all perfectly packaged in this beautifully shot, beautifully scored, tightly written film. Uh, to date, I still think it is the MCU's best. It, it, it is my favorite. Written about it a ton. Guardians 2 was a massive step down for me. It's still solid, but Guardians for me, as I just said, is almost Star Wars-esque in how well-balanced of a film it is. Yeah, I mean, Guardians is pretty good. Uh, I would say perhaps my only rebuttal is that it might be too Star Wars-esque in that it basically takes the Han Solo archetype 
and doubles down on it for the entire film. And I think at a certain point, Quill can be a little bit grating. And I also think that for superhero fans in general, it is still sometimes a step too far for some of the more conventional and traditional superhero fans. You know, it, it is the barrier of access when you see talking trees and raccoons is a bit much, but yeah, I mean, this is a film that was on my list and that I love. And uh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really going to argue too hard against it. It probably was going to be my next pick, most likely. Uh, so I got a tip of the cap. That was a pretty good one, Eric. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And now James Gunn is getting the chance to do it again for DC with uh, the Suicide Squad. And that will probably be fucking sweet as well. So It's going to be a good one. I mean, I yeah. think at this point, James Gunn has proven... He's a unique kind of fresh talent. Yep, for sure. All right, so well played. So let's just do a little quick recap. What's your team right now? At point guard. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> at uh, the first pick, I took the Dark Knight, number two, Infinity War. Pick number three, Logan. Pick four, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, solid list. I think a bit obvious, but solid. Right now, I'm working with Avengers. That's gaslighting, Brandon. What are you talking about obvious? <laughs> I'm working with Avengers Endgame. I'm working with The Matrix, which I cannot believe you would clown that since it's probably the best overall movie that's been taken in this draft. Over The Dark Knight? Are you high? The Matrix is a better movie than The no, Dark Knight. I love no, The Dark Knight. No, it's not. We don't need, need to get into that now, but give That'll me That'll be the next pod. <laughs> yeah. And I love The Dark Knight. And then third, I'm working with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And that leads me into my fourth pick which is, again, a little bit of a surprise, but I think one that makes a lot of sense, and that's going to be Batman Begins. Marshal Wayne, are you coming back for long, sir? As long as it takes to show the people of Gotham their city doesn't belong to the criminals and the corrupt. Bruce? Rachel? You were gone a long time. I know. Things are worse than ever down here. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? Normic survival suit for advanced infantry. Kevlar utility harness, gas-powered magnetic grapple gun. What's that? On the tumbler? Oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. This is Christopher Nolan's reintroduction of Batman to the mainstream public after eight years where Warner Brothers shelved perhaps the most iconic and profitable movie character of the modern era because of how badly Batman and Robin with George Clooney damaged the brand. That camp and ridiculousness essentially puts superhero movies back years. And Batman Begins reintroduces him in a super grounded and brooding and gritty and realistic way that essentially has been copied in superhero movies ever since. The Dark Knight is the better overall film. But like I said, it belongs to the Joker. And the Dark Knight Rises, because of its memification and its concluding chapter, is a little bit more about Bane and Gotham, whereas Batman Begins is the only one of Nolan's excellent trilogy that delves into who Bruce Wayne is, how he became who he is in a way that was very much unlike previous iterations and representations. And it's the one that cares about Bruce Wayne and Batman and the psychology of both the most. It somehow mixes brooding realism with science fiction villainy. It's eloquently themed and it 
amazingly shot, essentially Christopher Nolan's introduction to Hollywood and the world as a blockbuster filmmaker. And of course, that has gone on to be a huge trend in modern cinema. So I would say it is an unbelievably poignant and effective remix, reintroduction, reboot of the Batman mythos. I think that's a great point because Batman Begins is so overshadowed by the Dark Knight that it, it, to this point has become underrated. Yes, I would agree completely with that. Yeah, so, and I would also argue that it's perhaps the most rewatchable Batman film. Uh, the Dark Knight is long, it could be heavy, which is not a bad thing, but Batman Begins is, le- is leaner. Um, I like the suit more. I don't know if that really counts, but I think the Batman look in that one is much cooler. Uh, he looks thicker and stronger. He's a big boy in that one. Yeah. Um, Batman Begins is, is a great pick. It would have been my backup had I not gotten the top five that I, I wanted. But I did get the top five that I want, and that leads me to my fifth pick, which I originally had number three because I was worried about you and what you would do is Spider-Man 2. Things get in the way before. There was something I thought I had to do. I don't have to. I like seeing you tonight, Peter. Now on to the main event. Octavius is gonna put Oscorp on the map in a way my father never even dreamed of. Crazy scientist turns himself into some kind of a monster. Four mechanical arms welded right onto his body. You take Spider-Man's pictures. Where is he? He's taking me off your loyalty to Spider-Man and not your best friend. Spider-Man to me. How do I find him? Peter Parker. Find Spider-Man, or I'll peel the flesh off her bones. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. That's on my list as well. Okay. Now, as I said during this pod, X-Men sort of started it all. They were the, you know, first step on the moon. Spider-Man was the planting of the flag. It was, we're here now. This is a real thing. Uh, It still holds up. And I'm just talking about Spider-Man as a franchise. And then I'll get to why I chose two and not one. Um, It still looks incredible. It brought the genre forward past, as you said, the last time that we had seen it was the camp of Batman. Uh, So this sort of brought it back. Um, And Spider-Man 2... I think is the better of those two films. Doc Ock is probably to this day outside of, you know, Joker, one of the best comic book film villains of all time in the sense that he's gorgeously rendered in both, you know, the way he looks. I think he looks great. Even to this day, those claws look great. And then who he was, he is a totally 3d guy, sympathetic as hell. I've never really seen a villain that I felt bad for and rooted for uh, the saving of his soul, quote unquote, more than Doc Ock in that film. Uh, Of course, three was a giant letdown, but at the time, Spider-Man 2 was probably the best comic book film of all time. Um, And for that, I'm going to take that at five. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue. Oh, sorry. One last thing. Train scene is still fantastic. It is, it's one of the best 
superhero fight scene still where where they're fighting on the train and then like the people on the train like stand up to have his back it's beautiful scene well shot great movie sam raimi man coming to dr strange gonna be awesome spider-man 2 was a big target of mine as well just a really strong movie overall i would say probably the only thing you can say about it is some elements don't age as well as we look back on it you know 16-ish years later but yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to throw up a shot on that one. Fair enough. That was a good one. All right. So this for is your last pick. Last pick. And again, I am trying to create something that's a little bit different. I'm going on a kind of slightly less, after taking Avengers Endgame with my first pick, the most commercially successful film of all time, I feel comfortable taking risks on less widely blockbuster material and going more so for films that I just think are really high quality, underappreciated, okay? So my, my team is high risk, high reward. It sounds like you are, you, these are excuses already. No, no, it's, it's why I think, no, it's why I think mine's better than yours. Yours are obvious picks. They're all really commercial, really great films, but kind of a little bit copy and paste, a little Whoa, bit. But we're talking off. about the best superhero films of all time. Exactly. And that's why I, for my fifth pick in going with M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable. Oh, I'm leaving. You're crazy. Unbreakable not only stands the test of time, it benefits from it. As a proto-superhero tale from the year way back in 2000, before all of the engrossing genre, the all-engrossing genre had consumed Hollywood, before all of your Marvel shenanigans, Unbreakable stood out from the the pack as a quiet and steady tale, more interested in its slow character development and soft-spoken nuance than the bombast of just $200 million throw everything at the screen blockbusters to today. You know, when compared to the MCU, the DCEU, the Arrowverse, Unbreakable is downright Shakespearean in bits. This is the understated and patient character-driven style that more superhero films should adhere to. And somewhat was built upon with Batman Begins, my other pick. It is mature, it is distinctive, it is thoughtful, it is patient, and it's a bit sad overall, which superhero movies today are essentially afraid to be. It is ahead of its time and one of the best superhero movies of the last 20 years because it actually cares about characters and human beings rather than capes, cows, explosions, and box office. And this is a film that just ages like a fine wine. You go and watch like Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, whatever, these are just cookie-cutter, factory-made, assembly-line, flavorless blockbusters. And then you go and watch something like Unbreakable that has actual heart, character, personality, a distinct style, something on its mind other than like, how many toys can we sell, Marvel and Mickey? <laughs> this is a real movie, whereas essentially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I love, is a blockbuster TV show. But your reasons for why you picked it just sounds like the negging of, of what it's not. Like, you're saying that you're picking it because it's not an MCU film. And because it's not an MCU film, it actually reaches higher, has a better, more well-constructed story. Is it even that good? I've seen it once, and I thought, okay. and underappreciated. And like I said, mine's high risk, high reward, baby. Yeah. This is a great film that preceded the superhero boom and showed us what a mature and thoughtful, thinking man superhero film could be. And I absolutely think Christopher Nolan took elements of that and infused it into his realistic portrayal of otherwise otherworldly and sometimes cartoonish comic book material. Now that was what, 98, 97? 2000, Unbreakable. 
Oh, so it's newer than I thought. Oh, okay. Look, man, so I can't fight back because I don't know much about that movie other than I just, you know, Bruce in the hood and he's in some house and he's throwing some guy through a wall. Um, so I will instead point out what you left on the board. Hit me. Iron Man 1, Spider-Man 1, Captain America 1, 2, and 3. Winter Soldier was one of my targets, but it had to come Civil down. Civil War? I like Winter Soldier more. Okay. A lot more. Winter Soldier has the single best fight choreography in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, that is just excellent. Deadpool, Joker, X2. All, all really exciting. Ragnarok, the Black Panther. Uh, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I truly do. But I also accept it for what it is. which The is original Batman. Any Superman movie. Unbreakable is dark, man. It's got real things on its mind, real characters who are actual people and not just commodities. Sir, you are a brave man. I'm going high risk, high reward. All right, so run through your top five and I'll run oh, through my top man, five. This is, this, folks, this is going to be a blowout, Brandon. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to tell you, pal. At one, Dark Knight. I'm the critic, man. I'll take that. That's true, but that's why this pod works. The Dark Knight, one. Infinity War, two. Logan, three. Guardians, four. Spider-Man 2, 5. Like, I just think there's so much overlap there. How? Not one, not, not, first of all, three of my films were on your list. Only one of yours was on mine. So, take on your part, man. So, which of my three, which of my five would you take if you could take, no, no, sorry. If you could take one that's not The Dark Knight, and trade it for one of yours, what would it be? I, I would have taken Logan, which is why I used my challenge on it. You and didn't then, use any of your challenges. And then you would have swapped out w- w- what one? Maybe Batman Begins, even though I do love Batman Begins. Okay. All right, and your five are? Avengers Endgame, The Matrix, which I still con- contend is one of the best films on this entire list. But you could have taken Logan and then saved... The Matrix for last. I was coming for Neo, man. Okay. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. What was my... Batman Begins. (laughs) Couldn't even remember on my own list. Batman Begins and Unbreakable, which I think has a lot of eclectic versatility, a lot of actual high-quality, really ambitious filmmaking, and enjoys the, the big commercial, widespread, broad appeal blockbuster success. Yeah. Okay. Look, man. Godspeed. I respect you for what you do, pal. <laughs> I'm going for the uh, the heightened, elevated. You're going for the snobby critic vibe. That's what you're doing. That is what you're fucking doing. Don't They're lie. They're better movies. They are better movies. <laughs> that's what you're world. doing. Yeah, but mine are, I think, bigger. Bigger. We're I talking name brands, baby. Coca-Cola, McDonald's, the New York Yankees. I have the biggest five movies. I've got the Matrix, which is better than basically every film you chose. We'll see. We will let the fans decide. <laughs> we, we will let, let the, the fans. fans know. And no matter what the fans say, I'm still right. Oh, well, you know what? We, we could ask, you know, which team won and then what's the best film on this list? That's a really good question. I, I would like to know the answer to both of those. For sure. So we'll have some, like, po- uh, some polls and we'll do some running stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. That was our fantasy superhero movie fantasy draft. A lot of divisiveness. A lot of debate. A lot that of- was fun, though. One thing we can agree on, though, is that it's going to be really interesting to hear what the Russo brothers have to say. Stick around because that interview is right now.
Hey, Eric, how are you? Hey, Joe, good. You? Uh, good, really good. Um, I'm sure my brother will be in any minute, but we could we could start oh. whenever you want to. Oh, sure. Well, then, actually, you know, yeah, since, I just, yeah. since I just have you, do you mind if I ask you a quick thing about traction? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I found that in Pizza Film School, one of the things that you guys really try to zoom in on is pacing, which uh, I thought was one of uh, Extraction's biggest strengths. Uh, so I, I'm really yep. it, it uh, reminded me a lot, and I'm sure you've gotten this tons of the raid, which is just it's 110 miles an hour from you know start to end. And I'm just curious what you guys do to ensure that your films always sustain that sort of forward driving momentum. That's a it's a twofold process. One is your script has got to be tight. Your story structure has to be tight. You need a propulsive concept behind the plot. Uh, a ticking clock is always helpful, right? Um, and then secondarily to that is just execution uh, uh, and editorial. Um, so you, you know, you you look for the the leanest version uh, uh, of a movie like that. So when you're you're making a film like Extraction. Uh, you know, you want to trim all the, the fat so that it's as muscular as it can possibly be without losing the emotion of the character, you know. But there's a way to be very efficient with both so that you can maintain, uh, you know, a high quality of character and emotion in the movie. So it really is a, it's a combination of all elements. And then you add music to that, and, um, you know, and there's certainly performance on set and the pace of performance on set is integral to that as well. Well, and uh, I thought the work from Sam was fantastic. So uh, just to loop back into uh, Pizza Film School, um, when you guys were talking with Mark Hamill, you said that the second act of the film is uh, the hardest to craft. Um, so when I look back on Infinity War and Endgame, uh, Endgame more so, I think you guys sort of subverted what acts are in those films, uh, especially considering it's one giant story. Uh, what were the biggest hurdles you faced in making sure that the second act of these long and grand films kept up with the first and third acts? I think well, structure is Anthony now. Oh, it's okay. Sorry, I'm doing this as well. How are you doing, Eric? Um, good. Good, thank you. I, you know, the unique challenge of those movies was, and this I think affects act structure uh, in, in the way that you're talking about, is the size of the ensemble. When you're dealing with a large ensemble and you have multiple leads, it tends to spread out the way the narrative flows because you're not structuring it around a single protagonist. And so it tends to not have as tight a focus or a flow because of that. So our challenge with those movies were just figuring out how we are weaving, interweaving the ensemble and the various inter, 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 independent storylines together in a way that sort of keeps the story exciting, you know, keeps us guessing about where the movie's going to go next, and is also sort of telling the story of the ensemble while it's also following sort of these individual story tangents. Um, it's, that's the biggest hurdle. And actually, that takes a long time in the script phase. We we spent a lot of time with Marcus and McSeely sort of playing with various 
possible structures for that section of the movie in particular um, and figuring it out how it actually works best. There is a lot, a lot of experimentation in this script phase with those guys trying different versions of, a, of a, an Act Two structure, uh, particularly. I'm not sure if you were on the, the line yet, but uh, I brought up to Joe how, you know, in uh, your guys' pizza film school, you, you say that a big part that you want to zoom in on is pacing, narrative structure, all that. Whereas I find Endgame to be a, you know, it's a three-act film, but just by the very meta walk down memory lane way about it, uh, acts are, are, don't really kind of exist in that sense since it's the past, future. So at what point did you guys decide that you were going to turn Endgame into that sort of uh, subverted look back? It was early in the process. I mean, we, we had a sense of what we're going to do in both films before Eminem Mark Markson fully started scripting them. Uh, we certainly knew that what the outbreak was going to be between the two films. Uh, and then, you know, we, we contemplated all of the ways that you could go back and undo what Thanos had done. Uh, um, and time travel seemed to be the most interesting. We're all obsessed with Back to the Future. Uh, you know, it's one of our favorite films. So it just seemed conceptually to be the most interesting approach because it allowed us to revisit um, story points from, you know, no, no one had ever done this sort of 10-year-long narrative that Marvel had done before, you know, and some, some TV shows that had approached or exceeded that, but um, not not to the extent of where you're, you know, six months or a year in between the chapters. Right. Um, so we felt like it was uh, an interesting way, also collecting fans along the way, and we knew there'd be people seeing these movies who perhaps had never seen any of the other films. So we thought that it'd be an interesting way to address all of those issues. Uh, and um, and also uh, allow fans to, you know, or re-remind fans of the important story points that got everyone to this place. Gotcha. Um, so now I, I just would like to pivot to when you guys talked to uh, Josh Berlin about uh, No Country. Uh, I think it was Anthony who said that, you know, that's what he'll toss on when he just wants to watch a film, and that's what I do with uh, Infinity War. Uh, so I, I just wanted to toss that that in there. But what, what I what I wanted to ask about that, since you guys spend a lot of time, you know, heaping praise on uh, the uh, Coens, how do you guys, if at all, take inspiration from other directors and apply it to your work? And are there any specific examples that come to mind? I mean, we certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. First of all, that was really kind of you to mention that uh, you. Uh, we'll turn to Endgame like that as well. That's very cool to hear. Um, we, I mean, here's the thing. We do, like, we're great film lovers. I mean, we sort of, you know, sometimes you absorb things consciously and sometimes subconsciously, and sometimes you channel them the same way in your work. You know, sometimes we're very consciously thinking of something um, that we want to emulate because it, it's sort of inspiring us to chase something. You know, we've, We've sort of mentioned that uh, before in terms of what we were trying to achieve in Winter Soldier with with the with the action sequences in terms of chasing with the car, you know, with heat, chasing a movie like Heat or something. Those right. action sequences. So some, sometimes there is something specific where 
you know, when you're pulling out a car chase, uh, you know, you've got to sort of, you got to run with the big dogs. You have to really be conscious of the great car chases that you've grown to love and that everybody else loves and that you've studied endlessly and figure out a way to like bring something to the table. That's, that's, you know, sort of hopefully a worthy successor to those. Uh I think there's that kind of direct, direct reference, but then there's also more of, um, you know, we also have talked about again with the Star Wars stuff is just just in terms of that that ending that um, Empire Strikes Back gave us. You know, that shock of that ending and yeah. you know experiencing that at a young age, just knowing that we had an opportunity to do something like that. Well, and you can clearly Infinity see War. that you guys do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that was yeah that was that was enough something else we were very conscious of. We knew we knew the effect that that had had on us. And we knew that we had the elements to, to give that experience, a similar type of experience to that to audiences, especially younger audiences that weren't as familiar with that or hadn't, hadn't experienced that at a, at a sort of a impressionable age. So, um, yeah, I think, but I also, I think, you know, again, there's a lot of ways where things will also subconsciously work their way in to what we're doing. It's, I think it's just a matter of, you know, your passion for film and, you try to bring that passion and you try to bring those tools and those techniques that you've learned from other films and you try to apply them to a story, you know, a very a story that's personal to you and a story that you feel is, is original. Uh, and hopefully when you end in the process of doing that, you discover a few new things along the way and sort of give, give audiences an experience that's maybe some ways evocative of things they've seen before, but also something that feels very fresh and original at the same time. I think that's the way we kind of. That's a great point because when you bring up the parallel between the ending of empire and infinity war, it's not something that I ever had thought of until you brought it up, which is a good thing because it means it wasn't too in your face. But when you bring it up now, I'm like, Oh, of course. So in that regard, you know, I think you guys achieved your goal. One more thing that I want to just because I'm a, you know, comic books I've read my whole life these last 10 years as someone who growing up read them as you guys did has been a dream because, you know, I've got to see these things come to life. Um, I don't want to hound you guys about going forward in the MCU because I know you get that a lot. But you did once say that if there was a story to bring you back, it would be Secret Wars, uh, which I had just started to read last month. What did it, you know, outside of of the job, what is it about that story that appeals to you guys? I mean, I read that, uh, I can't remember how old I was, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. Uh, And it's just, it was the scale of getting all of the heroes together. Um, I think it was was one of the first major books to do that. In this notion of like, I mean, that was really event storytelling for me at its finest was Secret Wars. Um, and uh, and what happens when you put all of those personalities together? And I like the idea of villains having to team up with heroes. And, you know, Anthony and I like complicated um, relationships between heroes and villains. We like villains who believe that they're heroes in their own stories. Um, so it, it, it's all sort of built into this notion of secret wars. So, uh, you know, to, to execute something of the scale of infinity war, uh, was 
directly related to the dream of Secret Wars. So uh, Secret Wars is even larger in scale than, than Infinity War and Endgame. It, 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 um, so, it's uh, stunning. It, it, I, it, it, I found yeah. myself in deep. I mean, and I've read read comics for a long time, and they throw you right in, and it's hard to get, get those bearings. So seeing that on film would be incredible. Yeah, it would be the biggest movie you could possibly imagine. Uh, yeah. um, so that's really what would be exciting to us about that as a concept. As an Great. Um, the ambition of it is even bigger than the ambition behind it. And then just one last softball about pizza. What's the best way to reheat it? <laughs> that's an well, interesting it question. It depends on the pizza. Yeah. Well, yeah, Joe, I, I, I said, you, you said that you would like no no cheese. So I'm sure that that plays into the, you know, the reheat. I like it totally. Yeah, uh, it does. There is, it's look quick. There, there is there's yeah. so many different kinds of pizza. That's the amazing, I, I mean, that's the one thing I think over the past decade or so, it's just like the pizza, the way pizza has continued to like just grow and evolve and spread. And there's so many different kinds now. And like, I got to say, grow, you know, growing up in Cleveland, we, a lot of, like there's a lot of Italian bakeries that will make a style of pizza that's just very simple. It's just kind of like a nice, like a thicker side dough, a little bit of sauce and a little, very, very little cheese. And it's kind of kept in, in, in uh, display cases like bakery is, and they'll cut slices throughout the day for you. And it's like that pizza is best served room temperature always. Right. So, um, you know, there's some, it's just, it's so funny. It just depends on what kind of pizza it is. What's your, what do you have a favorite kind of pizza, Eric? Uh, well, I'm, I'm from New Jersey, so here it's just a standard cheese plain, um, which I think that we do well, which the way that I like to reheat my slices, you put it in a pan so you get that bottom crust crisped, and then you put a, and then you put a pan top on it and drip in some water so the moisture melts the cheese. And then it's as good as it is as it were fresh. Try it out. The pan is the way, the way to go. I'm going to steal that technique. That sounds great. I never yeah. tried it like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, the way that you guys talk about how you're inspired by film, you you do the same for us. So thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Appreciate really appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Sarah. Good luck to Bye-bye. you. Take care, man. Thank you, guys. Okay, be well. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. <laughs>